I V M. Hey everybody, welcome to Football Shipball with Shiva, with Borav, with Kartik, and with me, John Dax. And we are so excited, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, or when y'all were boys and girls in the early 90s, the voice you just heard was of the most famous football presenter for us in the Indian subcontinent and probably Southeast Asia as well. In on ESPN Star Sports, it's the JD that's just as good without the Coke. We have the John Dykes on Football Shootball this week and the next. Hey, John, welcome to Football Shootball. Hey, guys. It's fantastic to be here. Thanks for having me on. It's great. How, how, how are you doing in Singapore? Like, how, what's, what's the scene with the John Dyke show? How are things there? Hope your family is well. Yeah, thanks very much. And the same to all of you. Um, yeah, obviously, difficult times. Um, what we do is we have a, a thrice-weekly show, uh, the John Dyke Show on Fox Sports, which is, if you caught it, it's, it's a chat show, basically. It's us working mm-hmm. our way through the big issues of the day, working through headlines, occasionally breaking into sort of featuring material. So, funnily enough, when this whole uh, lockdown, although in Singapore they're calling it a, a circuit breaker, it's a sort of short, sharp shock to try and you know, halt the um, um, spread of the pandemic. Um, when this came along, it didn't disrupt uh, me as much as, for example, what it would have done somebody who was working on live sports, um, whether you're covering as we do on Fox, the Bundesliga, or if it's Formula One, or mm-hmm. tennis, uh, golf, anything like that. In my case, it didn't call for too much of a departure from what we normally do, which is um, editorialized, which is going through news, which is analyzing, reading between the lines, looking behind headlines, uh, interviewing guests from a distance, which is what we do anyway via Skype calls or whatever technology we have. So we've carried on. Um, we obviously have restrictions. Um, I, I go into the studios. We still broadcast from the studio. This is just me at home. You can see behind me, I've got a <laughs> couple of pictures you'll probably, you'll probably want to ask me about later on. But um, I uh, go in twice a week. I do a live show on a Monday and a live show on a Wednesday. We pre-record a feature kind of show for a Friday. And uh, yeah, we're just trying to keep going. And what's been lovely is that um, wherever people watch the show, they've been getting in touch with us via our social media pages and saying, keep it coming. Just, you know, we, we, we want to talk football. No, that, that, that's fantastic. It's, it's taken me about 10 minutes to get used to the fact that it's your face from here across the screen. And, and for two of my co-hosts, uh, Shiva and Sapre, it's taking them a little longer because they're still stunned. You can see them with their eyes wide open. And they're like, this is, ha- this is happening, guys. Yeah, I can't imagine that this day would have come to pass because we grew up, and uh, please pardon my fanboy moment, because um, we grew up, watching you on television. And our love for football began in the early noughties when it was still 2003, 2004. I'm the biggest Arsenal fan I know. So I love the fact that there is, uh, if I'm not wrong, a picture of Andre over your right shoulder. Mm. Uh, so that just makes my day. Uh, I'm going to assume you're also an Arsenal supporter. Uh, so thank you for that. Uh, no, I'm not an Arsenal supporter because I'm sure at some point you're going to get around to the uh, inevitable question about who I support. I've got a couple of pictures um, that I've collected down the years. One of the things that we will discuss, I'm sure, during the course of our chats um, is the impact that Thierry Henry had on the Premier League, particularly mm-hmm. at the time. And you were talking about the noughties then and, and obviously in, in the ESPN context, ESPN star context, I was over in England watching games a lot and, and I saw, saw some of his finest performances. So Henry was always something I really, really admired. And um, I I interviewed him a couple of times and he gave me a couple of the most um, provocative, uh, thought-provoking, um, insightful interviews I've ever done. So I've always had a very soft spot for him. And when I had a chance, I can't remember where it was to get my hands on a, on, on a signed picture. I just snapped it up. But 
not because I'm an Arsenal fan. <laughs> I love that because we uh, share our love for theory on really like I, when I was growing up, I when I was learning football, I was watching football, I was playing football. I would model what myself after Thierry Henry's uh, mm. goals. Like he would open his body up and put it in the farthest corner. Uh, that would be my my dream. So uh, that is just awesome. So you know, Shiva, you're 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 fanboying about John Dykes. You're fanboying about Henry. John has <laughs> said that he loves Henry. You know, Sapre is now slowly starting to seethe over there. Uh, John, Gaurav <laughs> is a Manchester United fan, and he's like, "Come on, guys, give some love for United." Yeah, you're talking about the noughties. It's where we were the most successful. It's almost like give some love for United. I have heard John use the word Manchester United so often. <laughs> 2010. There's no other way. There's no other club you can end up following. But one thing uh, comes to me right now is what I was not prepared for for this day is that I'll be on the screen. Uh, you know, uh, talking with John. Had I known that, I would have improved myself, made myself look better, and do all of that. But uh, what has happened apparently is, and we spoke about Thierry Henry. I was reading an article uh, about Paul Pogba and how he was an Arsenal fan before because he, he really loved Thierry Henry, and then the love for Manchester United came later, which is fine. Uh, I <laughs> seconds, you can think, keep a, keep the seconds. So, John, let's let's get into what happened before before we get into the ESPN Star Sports Day. I, I went on your Wikipedia page, and it said there you were a radio DJ in college, which 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 stunned me a little. And then you came to Asia, and you even hosted what was it, the Academy Awards over here? So that was a little stunning because we always thought of you as this sports guy who's been uh, you know just giving us our football that we've been following for so long. But so where how 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 are you still DJing in clubs in Singapore? Maybe or do you still like to follow the Academy Awards and watch a lot of movies? Okay, so um, first things first. It's funny when, whenever you guys and, and I get this an awful lot from people from from India in particular. When I bump into people, they go, "Oh, you know, I've, I've, I grew up watching you." And I always say, "Well, you know, that 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 goes two ways. One way, I'm really." flattered, grateful, because it meant that, you know, we really were there when football really grabbed a foothold in India. Secondly, it makes me feel really old when someone says I grew up. But unfortunately, unfortunately, the truth of the matter is that, that, that I'm, I'm no youngster, which means that if you're going to go back, way, way back to the things you were talking about then, uh, I'll keep it short. I, I didn't, I didn't grow up wanting to be a TV presenter. I didn't grow up thinking you could be a, a TV presenter. Um, I went to college, I was doing an English degree course, but I love music. Um, and I kind of like alternative, heavy rock, stuff like that. So I just signed up for the radio station and, and, and did a show. It was like an alternative music show when I was at college. Um, I'd never done anything like that before, but they just stuck you in a studio and you learned your way around. And I thought, oh, okay, this is something I could do. I could talk. I discovered that I could string a few words together. Um, so that was how I started off thinking, because I really didn't have any kind of career plans. I played sport all my life, um, but I, I knew I wasn't going to be a professional sports person because by the time you get to early 20s and you're not, you know, it's not going to happen. So um, I didn't think there'd be a career there. What I did do, though, was I went from, from doing the radio work uh, to getting into newspapers. And my first real proper job was uh, an English language paper in Hong Kong called South China Morning Post. And I started off as a kind of a junior writes a reporter on the sort of youth edition of the paper where I covered sports uh, because guys who ran the paper knew me because I played a bit of league cricket at the weekends and I knew a couple of guys in the sports desk there and people just knew me so you know it was natural for me to do the sport and then I graduated onto the main sports desk so I started off as a sports writer um, but the funny thing was um, I just moved in circles where I knew a lot of people who worked on TV in English language TV in Hong Kong uh, who were doing showbiz and entertainment stuff. And they knew that, that I came from a background where I'd done art stuff before. So 
I, I got a request from a TV magazine once asking if I would write movie reviews, so I started writing film reviews for them. And then the English language TV channel, TVB, came to me and said, hey, would you come on and be our movie review guy? So I initially said no. I said, no, I'm a journalist. I, I write stuff. I don't, I don't, TV's cheesy. I, I couldn't, <laughs> I, I wouldn't know how to stare at a camera and talk. I, I can't do that. So, but they, they, they kept going on and they twisted my arm and they eventually got me on the show. And eventually they made me look at a camera and talk uh, rather than being interviewed. So uh, that's how it started. And, and what was fascinating back then was because, you know, if you, if you, if you worked on the main English language paper, the main English language uh, entertainment magazine, and the main English language TV channel, it meant that you suddenly found yourself accelerated into positions that you'd, you'd ordinarily not be in. So within a short time, I was hosting uh, a weekly sort of movie review show and TV show. I then was going to go on junkets. And, you know, you mentioned the Academy Awards. The Academy Awards actually wasn't the most glamorous thing I did because all we did was we sat on top of a feed that came in from Hollywood. Mm -hmm. So all we, we did was we basically just filled the gaps because they had slightly different commercial break lengths than the ones we did at, uh, at the channel. So we just sort of, you know, introed it, jumped in and out, just kept throwing back to Hollywood, basically. But the really fun stuff I did came when the um, distributors, the movie distributors, would go, well, we've got this guy here who writes for the paper and he works for the TV channel. So we think we've got enough budget to send him places and get some coverage. So I would go on junkets. So and this is telling you how old I was. I was in the original Jurassic Park junket. So I was out in Los Angeles <laughs> interviewing uh, Laura Dern and Sam Neill. That's and amazing. Like that, Jeff Goldblum. Um, I, I went, they sent me to uh, Tokyo where I interviewed Schwarzenegger and DeVito when they did uh, wow. Twins. I interviewed Tim Burton when he did Nightmare Before Christmas. So I did a lot of entertainment stuff. It was, you know, that was really what I was doing. Um, but I always played sport and I always had this kind of sports circle. And then funnily enough, uh, there just came a time when I, I wanted to try and move on to the next thing. And it was more to do with production. So I went and joined a friend's company. I left the newspaper. Uh, and even though I still did movie shows in the evening, I went and worked for a company that produced sports programs. And I went in really and just learned the ropes in terms of, you know, basics of production. Um, and, and I was working on that show. And then it just kind of naturally pivoted from I, I, I just moved back towards doing sport because I got a call from the company that was uh, basically with Star Sports, but they were based in Hong Kong mm -hmm. back then. And they sort of said, look, is it true? It was still on the TV. Is it true you know a thing or two about sport? And I went, yeah, I, 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 I do a lot of sport. So uh, I started commentating on Chinese soccer, Chinese football, the, the Chinese Super League uh, for them. And then they said, well, do you know anything about cricket? I said, oh, yeah big into cricket so I went over and, and I started hosting cricket and did a weekly magazine show I did football obviously Asian Cup football I did rugby I did Formula One and that took us up to 1997 which is when Star Sports and ESPN who were based in Singapore emerged they became a joint right. venture ESS ESPN mm -hmm. Star Sports and that's when I moved from Hong Kong to Singapore anyway that's a long-winded answer but it kind of takes you through this thing about showbiz and no I don't DJ, uh, I, I, I do have, I still, I still love my music and my hobby, uh, my biggest hobby, me and my wife in particular, is traveling to places to, to, to see bands. We go to rock festivals, we go to shows. That's our big indulgence away from sport. Yeah, that reminds me that you and Sandeep have that very thing in common. Uh, Sandeep, for everyone who's listening, is was my uh, super boss where I used to work and he introduced me to John. And I know he's um, heavily into uh, alternative uh, heavy metal and I think I've seen a couple of your pictures in Singapore when you made your way to uh, the latest concert in town 
Yeah, yeah, it's funny that I mean, yeah, Sandeep, Sandeep, that friend of yours, obviously, is, is he's a musician as well, so he's got far more cred than I. Because when I was when I was growing up, I didn't learn an instrument; I was playing sport. Um, but uh, no, I, I absolutely love it. And the funny thing about it is, when you kind of look like this, when you, when you look preppy and and, and and more like a sportsman than than, than 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 a rocker, people are always amazed when you find or they find out that I'm, I'm going to go to a trivium show or I like make it there for anything like that. So it's, it, it always amuses people. Uh, but that's, that's, that's what I'm into. That's awesome. No, that's great. So getting now we, now we'll get into the meat of it. We'll get into football. Okay. I'm going to hazard a guess here because where, where I see John sitting and I can see a blue Jersey behind him with Dykes written on it. And I can't see the second digit, ah. but it's five. So I'm going to guess you're a Chelsea fan, John. It's five zero. <laughs> it's 50. So I'm going to guess that you're a Chelsea fan. Okay, well, you can guess all you want. Uh, <laughs> you can guess away. Uh, I'll give you the story behind that one. Um, so it's funny, you, I, you guys think of me as the 2000s guy in terms of, uh, I certainly was, because my time with the SBN star was 1997 to 2010. Mm-hmm. Uh, so really, we, we, we got into that whole Premier League broadcast from about 2001, 2002, all the way through. But then in 2010, I actually went to live in England because what happened was the Premier League launched its global channel, which, of course, you, you guys um, see on Star Sports. So I, funnily enough, went to live in England for seven years. I did seven seasons with the Premier League Productions, which is that global feed that they make out of the mm-hmm. UK, which is not broadcast in England, but just it's, it's a worldwide feed. So it broadcasts all around the world, including Singapore, where I live now, and obviously India, and Africa, all over the place. It was very popular. But I went and lived in a place called Cobham, which you know as being where Chelsea's training ground is. And we happened to go there because there was an international school that we felt was a good place for our kids to go with my mm-hmm. girls my other two daughters who both went to international school in singapore and we wanted to carry on so anyway we went there uh it was also kind of convenient for work it wasn't difficult to get into the studios from there so i moved into this house and i worked kind of odd hours so i didn't really get to the, know the neighbors but a month or two into it i noticed there was this guy who used to drive back at slightly irregular hours, didn't work like nine to five stuff, and he wore a tracksuit. And it turned out to be Steve Holland, who was Whoa. the assistant manager at Chelsea. And Steve, Steve was, was my neighbour. He was renting this house next door to us. So Steve and, and his wife turned out to be lovely friends of ours, and, and, and the, the boys and, and the kids, you know, got on well. So we became friends. And, and when I turned fifty, um, which was in uh, what was that in twenty fourteen, um, I went out just with a couple of friends and uh, Steve and his wife came along and he brought me this amazing gift. And so this amazing gift was a Chelsea shirt that said Dykes 50. Uh, but the incredible thing about that was this was what November, November birthday, November 2014. But it was that season 2014-15 when they went on to win the Premier League, yep. which means that that shirt behind me is signed by uh, Mourinho, who was managing, of course, uh, Drogba, uh, Terry, uh, I've gone by then. Uh, as of most Salah's name uh, is on there because Salah was there at that time. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, so I mean, you know, it's 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 an incredible thing, and it was just a gift because the guy worked for Chelsea. So that's what I got there. So again, not a Chelsea fan, um, but lots of Chelsea insights. I can give you that. <laughs> I love that 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 T-shirt is signed by Drogba. It's just, I mean, for everyone who's watched all that uh, those insane games at the Champions League nights mm-hmm. and. Premier League games in the early 2010s. Uh, Drogba was a phenomenon. I mean, I'm not even going to start talking about Jose Mourinho just yet because we have a long way to go. So we'll get there eventually. Yeah, but so let's let's get back to the early 2000s. Yeah, when when I think Shivram and I we both went to college together. 
so we met we realized we started watching it at the at the same time i think it was for most of us at least here it was i think in 2001 when nistel roy came to the premier league mm-hmm. and arsenal were were competing i mean with with manchester united we had we had only i remember once during during a cricket match and this is how i got into football personally during a cricket match sunil gavaskar was commentating and he was talking about like forget this cricket match it's arsenal versus united tonight and i need to watch this like that that was the that's that he was talking with and i was like if if gavaskar can do this so can i so that, then we got into football and your face the face of paul maysfield of shabby singh of steve mcmahon it became uh-huh. so 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 familiar so we just All we want is to hear from you about like how those guys were to work with. What was your experience in those days? My favorite show, personally, I don't know about the other boys, but my favorite was Football Focus. I think it used to come on Tuesdays here, and I used to love your sit down like for an hour, six to seven in the evening. It was every evening in in India, and we sit and oh, it was it was too much fun. Well, thank you very much. Uh, let me just quickly take what we did. Once we landed the, the Premier League rights, and we had a whole Asia offering. I think when we first started, we went out to some twenty-five, twenty-six countries, something like that. Um, we threw a lot of money at it. We threw a lot of resources and a lot of expertise. We brought some great producers and, and some, some production talent to, to, to this from the UK. And so we launched a Friday night show, which was called Here We Go, which was like a preview show. Then it would be the big match days on Saturday and Sunday. Mm-hmm. Tuesday, we, we did indeed do football focus, and, and then we expanded the repertoire with. Some shorter programming beyond that, but I mean, you mentioned those guys in football focus, but primarily what I did, of course, was the weekend stuff. Now, the weekend stuff was that live studio wrap around the, 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 the matches, and that's obviously what I, I think that's that's my bread and butter. That's really what I, I love doing—that sort of live studio uh, and on-site uh, production. And of course, what we did as well was we would bring out guests. So we would bring out the likes of you know the late great um, Sir Bobby Robson, uh, Brian Robson came out and joined us. Ian Rush, you know, we we would have ex-players, we would have a recently retired players or managers coming and joining us. And of course, that was the sort of meat of what we did. That live stuff. We had the relationship with our sister company Sky, which meant we could use their interviews pre and post match with Jeff Shreves and guys like that doing that. We had access to some of their content, some of those beautiful features they do, and, and, and opening montages and stuff like that. So, really, that was the meat of it. But you're right, football focus took on a life of its own. When we first started, we were able to show highlights. It was a kind of a highlights-based chat show and what have you. But mm-hmm. such is the nature of football and, and, the, and the rights. Industry, the you know by three-year rights cycle, we might lose a territory here or there. We might lose Hong Kong or Singapore to another company or what have you, which meant that we wouldn't be able to show the footage, but carry on broadcasting the show because obviously it wouldn't be the rights holder. So we took the decision. We we thought, and I think we felt correctly, that the idea of me plus four alienated entertaining guests with no moving pictures whatsoever, just the odd graphic or a newspaper headline or or an email with a question on it. We thought that would be enough with assumed knowledge. Everyone had seen the games. Everyone had seen the news. Everyone had followed up on all the stories. We thought, yeah, that'll do. We we can build a show around this. And I, you know, and funny enough, that's what I'm doing today. So, you know, fast forward all these years, and I'm effectively saying, right, there's a there's an engaged and very uh, football literate uh, audience out there who have questions. Um, We're also in a position where I, as a, as a former journalist, I like to, to, to dig beneath uh, stories and read between headlines and try and explain things and try to shoot down a few things. Um, but the other thing about football focus, as you said, was those guys. Um, so the, the classic four, of course, uh, w- would have been that sort of lineup when we had Steve McMahon. So you're talking about legendary Liverpool player, uh, Paul Maystock, you know, gregarious character, ex lower league footballer, larger than life, really, really sharp as you like. Chevy, the one and only Chevy Singh, um, you know, 
Malaysian former international footballer, absolute lover of the game and completely opinionated. And then Jamie Reeves. Now, Jamie Reeves was a former semi-pro footballer who actually worked as an economics lecturer in Singapore, but was the voice of reason, sensible, calm, uh, very much intellectual. Uh, and it was just a lovely little blend um, that I thought worked really nicely. And I love being in there, just, just prompting them and um, asking questions. Yeah, I think uh, what you just essentially described was a podcast before a podcast came to be. <laughs> that is literally yeah. there. No moving pictures. Yeah. There's no footage. You're literally talking about the game and actually being purists about it, which is fantastic, which is what everyone wants to hear about. Plus, you have four amazing guests who are... And, uh, they're, and they're all better looking than the three of us. So it works <laughs> on, a, on a television show. <laughs> better yeah, look. They'll all take that. I'm definitely going to give them that one. Um, yeah, I, I, someone asked me this the other day. Someone was talking about podcasts. And I tend to play devil's advocate. And I said, let's not get too carried away. I mean, sorry, with respect, guys. Podcast is podcast that. I mean, effectively, as you just said, it's exactly what we were doing. Um, there used to be this thing called radio where people sat around talking about stuff. There used to be these things called long, there used to be these things called long form interviews, whether I did it. As a, as, a, as, a, as a print journalist or whether I did it, recorded it for, for sound or vision or both, I mean, it, it, it's nothing new. It's just that it's a delivery mechanism. And thankfully, the, the pod, um, it, it, it's, it, that's the way we do it now. That's awesome. We also have a story about Shabby Singh because uh, back in 2010, 2011, was it? Uh, Blackburn had come down to Pune in India and they were playing, uh, I think they were playing Pune FC. And Karthik and I had the opportunity because our university was very close to the stadium. So we had the opportunity to go there. And I, back then, I used to work with this website called Goal.com. Uh, and yep. I used to be a contributor on the site. And, had, and I was basically reporting on the game. And I had the opportunity to meet the only Galacticos player I ever met, which was Michel Salgado. And uh, the bunch of players that I looked up to, Mon Gams Pedersen, uh, of course, Shabi Singh was there, and uh, Bhaijan Bhutia also ended up showing up at the game. So, um, those are fond memories, and uh, of course, Venki and so on and so forth. But that, that brings back that memory of just going watching that game live. Yeah, I think Gaurav, Gaurav you spotted a photo recently of, of John with, with Shabi, right? Like With, with Shabi Singh, yeah, yeah. I think some. It's not a recent picture. I'm, not, I'm guessing it's not a recent picture, but I did see a picture with both of you. Uh, I yeah, I, just hanging out. No, I, I, work, I work with Chevy. Chevy um, predominantly lives in Malaysia, which is just across uh, the causeway from Singapore yeah. here. Um, and he, but he comes down and works on Fox all the time. He's, he's a regular part of the uh, punditry team. Uh, we show Bundesliga football. We show um, Asian football. We have the AFC competitions. And he, he's... he's I mean, all the time that I was in England, apart from this spell when he was working with Blackburn, he, he's, he's always carried on being a pundit. So, Chevy and I, we bump into each other regularly. Paul Maysford, as you know, spends a lot of time in India now, obviously, with mm-hmm. his commitments uh, on TV there. But Paul also works as, mainly as a commentator with us these days. Jamie comes in and co-commentates, uh, Jamie Reeves, uh, occasionally. Uh, and I, I still see him uh, around Singapore uh, quite often. So, yeah, we, we're still pretty much in touch. Steve McMahon's gone back to the UK now mm-hmm. uh, after a spell, I think he was in Singapore for a long time, then he went up to Kuala Lumpur for a bit. Uh, but, but yeah, we're, we're, we're still pretty much in touch. Yeah, and lastly, I think before we just head into a break, we'll, we'll we'll finish this with a few more familiar faces. Like, of course, you were you were the the face of ESPN Star, but then there were the likes of Colette Wong, Andy Penders, Jason Basie. In fact, Jason, I work with ESPN Info, so Jason and I still do a lot of a lot of work together. Like, so so mm. are you still in touch with them? Like, did 
day two, I mean, I, I don't know. I think Jason, you may probably be off the same in the same age group, and you'll you'll have come through together. So how was that equation there? And I remember Andy Penders was this fun guy on football. Football Nokia crazy. football Nokia crazy. Nokia football That's crazy. the only reason I remember Nokia yeah. because of football crazy. Yeah. <laughs> oh come on, give him a break. I love my I love my Nokia. So I still have this um, real fondness for my N seventy one or something like that. I think it was. I, I you know I used to, I used to be a, a maniac texting. I loved it. Anyway, um, okay. So so let's put it into context. So what happened was the ESPN Star we spread stuff across the ESPN network, the Star network. We had a lot of channels. We had a lot of content. Uh, Jason was a news guy. Jason Daisy. He'd come from working on sort of, you know, BBC, CNN, places like that. So he was more on the news side of things because we showed Sports Centre. We, we made a, a, mm-hmm. a Singapore-based um, regional Sports Centre. So Jason basically worked on the news team, as did Colette Wong. Now, Colette is, is Singaporean and she'd come through uh, broadcasting in Singapore. And I'm delighted to say Colette still works with me. She's, she's a big part of what we do at Fox Sports. Oh, wow. Um, and I was, talk- I was talking to her just this morning. So she's just fantastic. So she's still um, presenting all sorts. She presents uh, football staff. She presents. Uh, golf, uh, tennis, so she's she's really versatile. Um, Andy Penders, so what happened with Andy? Andy came along, Andy was part of our digital team in the early days at uh, ESPN, Um, and we had the website back then, Uh, but Andy was also from a kind of a football fan cast kind of background. He was just tailor-made for it. So when we decided that we were so established, we had all of our, so we, I suppose we called them kind of dry, serious, heavyweight shows like the ones I was doing, you know, all very sort of sensible and serious. We, a bit like Sky with their soccer AM, said, well, we need to branch out of it. We need to have a sort of a more youth-oriented, fun show. And Andy was the ideal guy to do that. He brought so much to it in terms of energy and ideas. So Andy did it. He worked with Colette on that. Uh, PJ Roberts? I think she, yeah, PJ was there. PJ had been a pro playing here in, in, in Singapore. PJ's still around. PJ's a pundit on Fox. He pops up on Fox still these days, but he's got uh, other other business concerns of his own. Um, so anyway, Andy now, Andy Penders is doing very well for himself. He, he, he's basically turned himself into a really good content producer, and he works on the Malaysian Football League, the, the, the Super League up in, in Malaysia, uh, primarily, but he, he does a whole bunch of content. So if you guys look him up on social media, he puts some very cool stuff out. Uh, the, that's great. While as much as I don't want to, we need to listen to some ads. So we'll be right back. <laughs> okay, welcome back to Football Football with the man who brought us the two protagonists of the 2000s, Manchester United and Arsenal. He brought us the battle at Old Trafford, the invincible Pisa Gate even. Okay, John, we're going to put you on the spot right here because Shivram wants us to ask this question. Yes. Are the Invincibles the greatest team the Premier League has ever seen? Whoa, here we go. Um, <laughs> you know, this is, this is amazingly good timing. This week on my show on Fox, uh, John Dyke's show, we've done two specials. One of them was a kind of serious one about the problems facing Arsenal right now. Uh, it went out on last night's uh, episode and we were looking at this pay cut and everything like that and talking about how they've fallen. They're out of the European competitions down in ninth place, you know, struggling to, 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 to really justify themselves in terms of their wage bill. Uh, but the other show that we did is one we pre-recorded for, for, for the Friday show, um, with Adrian Clark, who is a former Arsenal player, and he's like a Premier League tact- tactics expert. And we, we, looked, we talked about the Invincibles, and we talked about the Invincibles season, but we did it in such a way that we looked at the context behind it, we looked at their achievements, and then we asked the question, could it happen again? And, and you know, when you do stuff like that, it makes you think in a little bit more detail about them. I'd always been wary. I'd always sort of had this thing about all the games they drew that season. Looked at 12 games, you know. I'm thinking to myself, okay. And I was looking at Liverpool Mm -hmm. crushing all their numbers this year. But then I thought to myself, 
yeah, but Liverpool lost after 27 games. And then I threw together a graphic that showed that someone else had made it to 24. No one else had made it beyond 15. And it got me thinking, you know, wow, that's, that's another way. Maybe we, whether you call them the greatest ever team or the greatest ever champions, I think it may be a question of semantics. I think they're the greatest champions because they've done something that hasn't been done. City have been brilliant and they threatened to do it, but didn't. Liverpool have been incredible, but didn't do it. Manchester United had a spell between 2006 and nine when I think arguably, you know, they were just playing this unbelievably great football. But for, for Arsenal to do what they did, um, and then I looked at the team and I, I would be hard pressed really to, to pick better strikers than Henri and Bergkamp. I think if you look at what they did defensively only 26 goals conceded. They only allowed, I think, 48 shots in the whole season. So you had that sort of Gilberto Silva, Vieira screen Vieira. in front of the defence. You had you had that incredible uh, Ashley Cole, Perez, Henri left side, which was so productive. It created about 50% of the assists. And then you're looking at Jungberg, and, and you're, just, you're just looking throughout the team, and man, it was, a, it was a good team. So I'm coming around more and more to, there may have been teams that had more individual flair. There may have been teams that had a certain period when they were great. And I think with United, everyone gets fixated on you know the Ronaldo, Rooney, Tevez, and what have you. But I, right. that happened over a period for me of two or three seasons. I just think in in the isolated context of one season, i.e., the champions, I I'm going to give it to Invincibles. Fantastic. I think we should just wrap up the show now. I think we have an answer. <laughs> I think we're good. Oh, that, that's great. And then, and then moving on after, after that period, there was this young Turkey Portuguese who had just won the Champions League. He came up into the Premier League. I mean, I, I've written the question down in the doc as, did you know it was a special period? But I think in Jose's first press conference, Sapre, Gaurav, he, he, say, he said it by himself. No, like what, what, what were his exact words? Yeah, he said, I am the special. I don't think he left too many things for the presenters and the pundits to say. I don't <laughs> think he likes to do that. I'm, I'm going to interrupt you because I think this is one of those. It's not, it's not a bugbear. It's not a bugbear. It's just like a little thing, right? So if you actually go back and find that first interview, he never said, I'm the special one. That, that, that the newspapers uh-huh. called him the special one. And that one has always existed ever since. What he actually said was he said something, and I'm paraphrasing, uh, and you can go and find the original quote. He said, right, what you're looking at here isn't one of those blah, blah, blah managers. It, it, it isn't da, 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 da. What you've got here is a special one, a special one. Oh. And, and what he was doing was he was trying to sort of explain himself, how he was different, um, that he had come from a different background, that he had different motivations and what have you. But tabloids loved, of course, to, to, to spin things around. So it became Mourinho claimed that I am the special one. No, he didn't. No, he just said, you know, I'm not that manager. I'm, I'm a special one. Uh, and then he became known as the special one. And that's taken on a life of its own. But that's not to put them down at all. Yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to probably make everybody happy at some stage during this chat. Because I think this, <laughs> this conversation... This conversation is talking about a period when Arsenal had just done something stunning. Mm-hmm. And then it was Chelsea that came. Because remember, the backdrop to Arsenal's title triumph as Invincibles was that Abramovich had come along and, and was just buying everybody. Buying mm-hmm. everybody. So, 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 so then what did Arsenal do? They responded. But sorry, I interrupted you. You were talking about Mourinho, right? Yeah. I think in, the, in, the, in one of the previous episodes, we spoke about... Uh, one season blunders, players who had come in 
one season. Didn't do too good. And we just speak about AJ Anmuchu uh, and little shout out to I think Shevchenko. Both of them mm-hmm. in during the Neil Brownwich era. Uh, but yet, yeah, but with Mourinho's Chelsea fundamentally changed the rivalry that Arsenal United had. Uh, and the success that they had before United still continued that success for a while. Arsenal never managed to win a win the Premier League after that. What was it that for you? And you know, we've heard a lot from Jose and from other pundits, and a lot of articles have been written about what Chelsea really did. But most of it talks about the amount of money that came in. We personally don't believe. I think United had an equal, if not more, money to spend. They had a decent amount of players. So did Arsenal. But what was that? Which, which Jose got to the Chelsea team, which which ensured that they continued success for over a period of time. Well, I, okay, I think the other thing as well is you've got to give Ranieri a little bit of credit as well, because Ranieri mm-hmm. had built a pretty solid, a pretty solid foundation for the team. But then when you look at the signings, the problem was, and, and I was there when Chelsea first had all that money. In fact, they did a, the very first ever uh, Asia Trophy pre-season tournament. And there were kind of new players just getting off the plane day by day. The squad had arrived and suddenly it was like, oh, here's, here's, here's Damien Duff arriving. And oh, here's, oh, here's someone else. Wayne Bridges just arrived. And what happened was they just wanted to buy players. And when you do that, there's going to be hits and misses. So they, they found their way. But what happened with Jose, and I think this is where you have to give them massive credit, was they got that synergy between uh, recruitment and, and coaching. Uh, absolutely right. And I think that doesn't happen very often. It happened with David Dean and Arsene Wenger at Arsenal. Mm-hmm. It obviously happened with, with Ferguson um, back in the day um, at, at Manchester United. But, but what was fascinating was that the players that came in were just absolutely right. But allied to that, they had this foundation, uh, particularly in terms of Terry and, and, and Lampard, right? So they had that solidity there. But then in recruiting Czech, you know, Czech came in from French football and just turned out to be the, the best goalkeeper of that decade, you know, without yeah. any doubt, I think. Mm-hmm. He came in then all the way through the team, you know, whether it was just stopgap signings who only had a year or two or whether it was like longer term signings or whether it was a very raw Didier Drogba who just turned into this absolute, you know, monster of a striker. Um, everything just seemed to work. And the key to it was Jose could back up everything. Because his scouting of opposition was so good, because his tactical awareness was good, his man management must have been fantastic to get out of them what he did, that he could go to his boss and say, you know, I think what we need to do now is we need to spend money and get this one in. You know, and that's that's what happened. So I think in their own ways, Arsene Wenger revolutionized English football and then Jose Mourinho did, but it was a very different way. And, and in a way, we saw a kind of, a, perversely, a kind of echo in it of Manchester City. You know, massive funding, plus a very specifically tactically oriented coach coming along as well to, to implement the ideas with that money behind them. So that's what made Mourinho such a game changer, I think. This quickly reminds me uh, about a cool story that I think we should absolutely tell you. So you know that I support Arsenal. Uh, you already know that Sapre supports Manchester United. We haven't discussed uh, which team Karthik supports. And one name stood out for me in the list of players that Chelsea bought was Damien Duff. Damien Duff played for this little, little, little club called Fulham. And uh, we have this cool story, which uh, Karthik, do you want to take, do the honours? Yeah, so I think if, if 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 you lived in Chelsea, you would have probably stayed near Craven Cottage as well, which makes me so jealous, John. But <laughs> yeah, yeah. So no, it was, it was. I think going back to the point when Shivram and I started watching football, it was in two thousand one. It was when Fulham got promoted in the Premier League. They came in there. They had this amazing jersey with like a black sleeve and just white. 
And I think the yep. following season, they had Pizza Hut. And that was one brand I knew. I didn't know what Sharp was. I didn't know what, what whatever the other brands <laughs> the club were. But I knew what Pizza Hut was. It was my aspiration to get a pizza <laughs> like every week. <laughs> so that, that's the club I've been following since. But, but, but yeah, I mean, I think, I think what really struck out there was, was you mentioned that, 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 that the noughties, that, that, that decade in football was so power-packed. Now, maybe it's nostalgia talking here, but we did a team of the decade as everyone, every other media organization did of the 2010s. And there was a few debates, but there wasn't as many as if we had tried the same thing for the 2000s. Now, we have, we, we've been arguing about this year and we thought you're the best person to settle these debates for us. Okay, so I'm, I'm going to go here. So who was the best striker of the 2000s? I think it was Fernando Torres, just seeing the way he plays. Gaurav is obviously Van Nistelrooy and Shiva is an Andre guy. So, we want you to help us settle this debate. I'm sorry, I'm just stepping in. But there is only one picture hanging behind John Dykes right now. <laughs> 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 um, I'm, I, I could give you the whole team if you want. But I'll tell you my two strikers. My two strikers would be Andre and Drogba. Now, if you're going to give us the um, team, please do so. <laughs> that would be awesome. awesome. Yeah. Okay, okay. Well, funny enough, I, I, you can talk about the team. The 2010s being easy, I, I, I disagree. I, I think that the 2000s, mm-hmm. as I mean, the 2000s was an awesome decade for football. Um, you know, I, I, I'll make Goran happy in a minute because, you know, I'll talk about the fact that I think actually if you had to pick a manager of that decade, I'd still pick Sir Alex Ferguson. And, and what I would do is if you wanted to pick a team, I would go with check and goal. I would go Ashley Cole left back without any doubt, I'd go Gary Neville right back. Easy, I think. I think Ferdinand has to be as one. And then it's a question of, do you go with Campbell? Do you go yeah. with... I go with Terry. I only go with John Terry in there. So I would have, I'd have Ferdinand and Terry, much as they might not like it, uh, playing alongside one another. Um, <laughs> There's then, four English defenders. Would, <laughs> there is four English I, defenders. I, I was yeah. just about to say that. I, that, that certainly wouldn't happen these days, would it? No chance. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I think I would go, I would go with Skulls in midfield. Uh, I would go with Lampard and Gerrard. And even though he wasn't there for that long, he was just so amazing. I'd have Cristiano Ronaldo in there, and then I'd have uh, Drogba and Henri up top. Wow, easy. There's only one Arsenal player in there, John. <laughs> so there's Ashley Cole. I mean, he did play for Arsenal. I mean, for a long time, I mean, so. let's not go there. Yeah, and there's better Czech oh, also you, who you, played for Arsenal later. I tell you why we have to why we have to have the conversation about the whole decade. When we do this thing about decades, very often you blur stuff, right? You know, you you got that meeting towards the start of the decade or decade or the end of the decade. So, mm-hmm. for example, Henri was 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 in his pomp at the start of the decade. Drogba, yeah, arguably from the mid- midway point onwards, right? So you you got to bear that in mind. But I think the other thing you have to bear in mind is that you must have a significant Manchester United representation in there because. If you think about it, you had Arsene Wenger leading Arsenal to an invincible season, right? Doing just incredible, unprecedented and and never repeated things. You had Mourinho coming along and the whole revolution that Chelsea did with successive title triumphs. But who ended up winning five Premier Leagues in a decade? Sir Alex Ferguson, which, which just goes to tell you what an incredible decade it was and how. You have to show a lot of respect to Manchester United and therefore they have to really populate that team, I think, quite extensively or as much as you can. But 
And Nistor, I, 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 just looking at the longevity of Henri and Drogba and just giving them the edge. No, no, I, I will not disagree with that one. <laughs> of course, you won't. <laughs> John's just taking the wind out of my sails for the next many arguments. <laughs> No, but, but but I love this. Where we started part one by by by, by praising the Inventables, by praising Henri. We're ending part one by saying Manchester United were the best team of the decade. We'll never know, John. We're going to have you for another week. But thank you so much for joining us this week on Football Should Ball. Until next time. So if you like this podcast, don't forget to check out other interesting podcasts on the IVM Network. You can listen to us on the IVM Podcast app or ivmpodcast.com. You can also follow us on our social media. We are at IVM Podcast on Twitter and Instagram. If you want to reach out to me, I'm Fickleberry Hun on Twitter and Instagram. That's Huckleberry Finn, but Fickle. And if you want to reach out to me, I am Sapre on Twitter and G Sapre on Instagram. You can reach out to me at Irant, which is I Y E R A N T on Twitter and Instagram. This is Football Should Ball. Recognize. Football Should Ball.